Well, I invite you to turn with me to your Bibles to Jonah chapter 3 as we continue our study in the book of Jonah. If you're just joining us, Jonah has been called to go to the Assyrian city of Nineveh. Uh, Syria was an enemy of Israel, and Jonah doesn't want to do that. So he goes in the opposite direction, boards the ship for Tarshish. And, of course, the Lord hurls a great storm at him and the sailors that are on board the ship. And Jonah is subsequently thrown overboard. And as he sinks to the bottom, he cries out to the Lord for mercy and help. And the Lord appoints a great fish to swallow Jonah. And then after three days and three nights, the fish vomits him up upon the, the, the dry land. And we pick up the story at Jonah chapter 3. Here now God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word to us. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Well, we've already read something that I want to reiterate to you this morning and read again to you this morning about God. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Do you believe that about God in reference to yourself? Do you believe that God is gracious and merciful to you, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love towards you? We can often doubt God's love for us, God's mercy towards us, especially when things are going wrong in our lives. We can doubt that God even notices us and cares for us. An illness, a broken relationship, a job loss, and economic difficulties, these often lead people to wonder where God is and does he care? Think of the disciples on the boat in the storm and Jesus is asleep and they wake him up and said, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? 
Maybe you feel that way today. Not only do the circumstances of life sometimes cause us to doubt the love of God for us, but also our sins can cause us to doubt God's love for us. When we sin, we can feel that we have made God so angry that he doesn't love us anymore. Perhaps an old sin pattern keeps coming back. We struggle with it time and time again. And it makes us wonder, how patient will God be with us? Have we finally crossed that line? Has God rejected us? Well, the chapter before us this morning, in fact, the whole book of Jonah, is about the, a demonstration, or it is a demonstration, that God is gracious and compassionate. He is merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And if you're struggling with God's love for you this morning, this passage should be of great comfort to you. And I only want to make two points today. First, uh, God's grace to Jonah is an example of God's grace to believers. And then secondly, God's grace to Nineveh is an example of God's grace to unbelievers. God is overflowing with grace, mercy, compassion, and love. Well, first we see God's grace to Jonah as an example of God's grace to believers. And we see, first of all, that God shows grace to Jonah in spite of his sin. Notice the similarity between chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and chapter 1, 1 through 3. They're parallel. In chapter 1 it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then chapter 3, after he's gone through all the, the storm and the being swallowed by the fish, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it a message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. He had run from the presence of the Lord, and now he is going to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So the whole three verses there are parallel to one another. Of course, at first, Jonah does not rise to go to Nineveh. He goes in the opposite direction. He flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He's supposed to go north and east, and he goes south and west. And he's fleeing from God's very presence, which is a foolish thing to do because God is omnipresent. And even the sailors on the boat reach the consequences of his sin. They, their lives are endangered in this terrible tempest, and they lose all their cargo. Their precious cargo was thrown overboard to lighten the ship. And did Jonah care? No, he's down in the hold of the boat fast asleep while they're rowing, struggling for their very lives. And we saw last week when they threw Jonah overboard, it was certain, Jonah was certain, that his life was deservedly over. Perhaps you feel that way today. You know, if God struck you down, it would be justifiable. You are living in rebellion against God, and maybe even others have been hurt by your sins and your selfishness. Is there grace for you? Absolutely. As Jonah was sinking down, he cried out to the Lord, 
and the Lord saved him. He not only saved his life, but he also gave him another chance, as we see here in chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Ryan Chapel in the, in the study Bible that he wrote, says, God does not give us one shot at responding in faithfulness to his call. He is the God of second chances. Indeed, because of the work of Christ, God will never give up and quit on us. God's grace led Jonah not only to repentance, but to useful ministry. Along with forgiveness came restoration. The same is true of us as well. Think of the Apostle Peter. Similar circumstances. He cowardly denied Christ three times. And yet the Lord forgave him and restored him. You remember that scene where he says, Peter, do you love me more than these? And Peter says, yes, you know I love you. He says, then feed my sheep. Go about doing the work of shepherding the flock. He says it three times in reference to the three times that Peter denied him. So Peter got a second chance. Jonah got a second chance. Well, maybe you're sitting there thinking, well, what about a third, a fourth, or a fifth chance? Because I need a bit more grace than maybe even Peter and Jonah got. Well, you remember that passage in Matthew 18 where Peter asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. I'm sure Peter thought he was being very generous to forgive someone seven times. But Jesus said, of course, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, or 70 times seven, as some translations have it. I don't think Jesus is saying when you get to number 78, that's it. He's saying that his forgiveness should be just keep on forgiving. Ad infinitum, without stopping, keep forgiving. Now, would Jesus require something of us that he doesn't do himself? That's the kind of grace that Jesus extends to sinners like us. Time and time again, he forgives us. Sarah and Jeff sang earlier that wonderful musical rendition of Lamentations 3 that we looked at last week. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. You know what Lamentations was written? After the destruction of Jerusalem, the people were conquered by the Babylonians. They were surrounded, cut off. They were starving to death. They were eating their children. It was barbaric, and they were destroyed, and the whole, the whole city was, was razed to the ground. And this is Jeremiah remembering even in the midst of the punishment that they received for their unfaithfulness to God, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Well, God knew all about Jonah. You know, even though Jonah was trying to flee from the presence of the Lord, you know, he, he couldn't flee from the presence of the Lord because God followed him around. And, and God not only knew what he was doing, but he knew his heart. He knew his thoughts. He knew everything about him. He knew his hatred towards the Assyrians, the Ninevites. Yet God still loved Jonah, forgave Jonah, and used Jonah. And God knows you too. He knows your heart. He knows your sins. 
in that wonderful book, Knowing God, which I highly commend to you if you've never read it, order your copy today or tomorrow. It may be kind of a money-lending thing to, to do it on Sunday, but order one quick. J.R. Packer in Knowing God said, There is tremendous relief in knowing his love to me is utterly realistic, based at every point on prior knowledge of the worst about me, so that no discovery can disillusion him about me in the way that I am so often disillusioned about myself and quench his determination to bless me. One of the great faults that we have as Christians is to doubt God's forgiving love, his mercy and compassion towards us, and his determination to draw us to himself and to have us as his children. And we see that. So even in the midst of sinfulness, God is gracious to Jonah. Even as he rebels against the Lord, God is gracious to him and forgives him and gives him another chance. But God is also, was also in Jonah's circumstances. In, in all the circumstances that Jonah went through, God was there. You think about all that happened to Jonah. He was called to do something that he desperately did not want to do, to go and preach to these filthy, violent, vile Assyrians. 500 miles away, uh, a people who were incredibly violent, a, a, a people who would eventually conquer the northern kingdom about 100 years later. Um, that was the last thing he wanted to do, to go preach to them. It was a difficult task. He had had a wonderful ministry there in the northern kingdom, very successful, as we looked at the first week or so of this study. And he thought that being called to Nineveh was the most difficult thing that he'd ever faced in his life. He had some other things coming when he decided to run from the Lord. God hurled this tempest at him as he was on the sea, and he was a hair's breadth from death. But God saved him. The salvation itself was gracious, yes, but it wasn't very pleasant, I'm assuming. I mean, being in the belly of a fish can't be a great place to be. My stepbrother was on a submarine in the Navy, and I could ima not imagine spending months under the water in these small, cramped quarters. And, I'm, you know, they had, of course, air conditioning and so forth and nice beds to sleep in. What did Jonah have? He had stomach acid and, you know, everything the fish might have eaten coming at him. Who knows what it was like? Maybe God put him in a bubble. I kind of doubt it. Either way, those circumstances were all for Jonah's good. God was graciously teaching him, pursuing him, molding him and shaping him into someone who was more like the Lord. Jonah's heart was full of hatred towards the Ninevites. And the point is for Jonah to go and preach to them, and, and of course God has compassion upon them, and they repent, and he relents from the disaster. And still, as we're going to see next week, Jonah hasn't quite got that hate out of his heart, but Jonah does eventually tell us the story. He gives this record to us today so that we can know and see the folly of his way, how ungodly he was in the way that he looked at the Ninevites. See, so God was shaping him and molding him and using all these things to teach him. And he, like us, 
was a slow learner. But he did learn. If you are a believer today enduring difficult circumstances in your life, you should stop and ask yourself maybe what Jonah should have asked himself. What is God trying to teach me in these circumstances? How is God pursuing me in these circumstances? Am I running from God? Have I been running from God when I should be running to God? Circumstances. If you're a believer today and your circumstances are difficult, God is teaching you something to them. There's never a difficult circumstance lost to a believer. You have that assurance in Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God loves his children. And yes, sometimes he takes us through difficult circumstances like he did with Jonah, but it was to teach him, to grow him, to cause him to be more like Christ. Again, J.I. Packer says, every single thing that happens to us expresses God's love to us and comes to us for the furthering of God's purpose for us. Even when we cannot see the why and the wherefore of God's dealings, we know that there is love in and behind them. And so we can rejoice always, even when, humanly speaking, things are going wrong. The believers need God's grace, just like Jonah did. And even in the midst of our sin and our difficult circumstances, God still loves us. And he's seeking to cause us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior Jesus Christ and to be more like Christ in our lives. And his purposes will ripen and come to fruition in our lives. We, can, we are guaranteed that. Well, not only does God, God's grace, his overflowing grace, uh, is seen in the life of Jonah, but it's also seen... In Nineveh, God's grace to Nineveh is an example of God's grace to unbelievers. Verse 3 tells us that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Any version you have uh, translates that similarly, uh, that phrase, exceedingly great city, or was an important city. Uh, But the Hebrew is a little bit difficult to translate, and I'm not sure why they didn't translate it more literally, but it, it, the word order is literally this. City to God, great city. So city to God, great city. And when you have, I've told you all this before, anytime you have two Hebrew words repeated close together, it's a superlative. It's saying that something is really great. Like the gold of the temple is gold gold. It's uh, pure gold, refined gold. The pit they threw Joseph into was a pit pit. It says it back to back. They threw Joseph into a pit pit, which means it was a nasty pit. And this one, it says city, city, it means that it's something of a great city. And it's a great city to God. Even though Nineveh was filled with pagan Gentile Assyrians, it was a great city to God. It was important to him. And we see that. It was important to him because of what he did for it. He sent his word to it. And that's the most important thing that happens here. 
He was gracious towards Nineveh in that he sent his word to it. Look at verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And then in verse 2, God tells him, Arise, go to Nineveh, call out against it the message that I tell you. The message that I tell you. And Jonah went, verse 3, according to the word of the Lord. And then the word of the Lord is, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. As you see there in verse 4. So God is gracious in that he sent his word to the people of Nineveh. Now this morning, maybe you got the same alert that I did. At 4 o'clock this morning, hurricane warning. And, of course, the hurricane's not supposed to be here till Tuesday. And I'm like, why couldn't they wait like two or three more hours before sending this out? At 4 in the morning. And then another one was like at 5 or 5.30. I didn't appreciate getting the warning at 4 this morning. That's not welcome to me when I'm having a nice sleep. But I do want the warning. I want a hurricane warning when it's necessary. I just want it at a reasonable hour. Well, it used to be that there was no warnings when hurricanes came through. The 1900 Galveston hurricane was one of the most devastating hurricanes in history. And it was so devastating mainly because the people were not properly warned. And now we have all these warning systems and models and things to tell us exactly what's coming and where it's coming and and we have history and we have experience to know how we should respond. Well, this is the same thing. God's sending a warning, a judgment warning to the city of Nineveh. It's a timely warning and God graciously gives it to them. He could have just rained down hailstones and sulfur like he did to Sodom. Out of the blue, but he doesn't do that. He sends Jonah. He sends Jonah with his word. And God's word engages people with eternal issues. See, it's not just some trite word. It's an important word. People in a big city like Nineveh would have been involved in their lives, going about their daily living, getting married and working and so forth and so on without any kind of thought about their eternal destiny. And God's word comes to wake them up, to say, hey, you need to pay attention to this. Judgment is coming in 40 days. It's coming closer in time than you think it's going to come. It's a hard word from the Lord, but it's a gracious word in that it warned them of their danger. If you're not a believer today, then judgment is looming, and it may be here before you know it. My brother has lung cancer that metastasized to his brain, and you know he's doing well. Uh, he's got a couple of spots where they remove some tumors uh, from his brain, and uh, you know they monitor those to make sure they aren't growing, and, and he might have a little growth in one of the lesions. So he's talking about our upcoming. We were talking about our upcoming hunting trip, and he's wrestling with whether, whether to go or not. And, uh, and he was thinking that maybe this might be the last time he's able to go. 
And uh, so I was urging him to go. Uh, but as I was thinking about it, it can also be my last opportunity to go. I mean, we're not guaranteed another moment, another day, another hour. We could all die at any moment. We could have a car accident. There was a car accident on our front lawn on Wednesday morning. We came to church and there was a, a wreck there from, the, from Tuesday night sometime or maybe wee hours of Wednesday morning. And the, the van hit the, the curb at St. Paul and went across the front yard of the Greens next to, right here and then hit our driveway and ramped up and went right between two live oaks right on the front between the sidewalk and Highway 90. And how that van got through, they hit both of the oaks, kind of pinballed through it, and it came to a stop right there at the edge of the lawn. I'm not sure how they didn't hit that thing, those two, one of those two trees square on, because it's just about the width of the, the van. The Lord was looking out for that person because they obviously walked away. They didn't report the accident. And I, when I called the police the next morning, they had not had a report of it. But, you know, if he had hit that tree or if they had hit that tree, that might have been the end of their lives. So we're not guaranteed... You know, one more day. The only difference between me and my brother is that he has a specific reason to be concerned. He, he can see something coming that's, that's dangerous in his life. I, I can't see that. I'm relatively healthy. But there's many ways that we can die. Life is fragile for everyone. And if you're not a believer today, there is cause for you to be concerned. God has sent his word to you. He is warning. You're hearing this message. Maybe you've heard many messages. Are you responding to the news appropriately? The Ninevites did. Look at verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. You see here, faith and repentance. They believed God. They, they understood their condition. They recognized that they were a violent people. That's what they confess in verse 8. We need to repent of our evil and the violence in our hands. They believed the word that God said about them. They believed the judgment. They believed they were worthy to be judged. And they were showing signs that by putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes and fasting that they were truly sorry for their sins. And they were a violent people. Nahum was one of the prophets that prophesied about uh, Nineveh, and, and he writes, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip, the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, Hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, dead bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. That's a picture of what Nineveh was like. And yet these people, these evil, wicked, pagan peoples who were desperately violent, heard the word of the Lord and they repented. God granted them faith and repentance. He sent his message. He sent his spirit to convict them. And he granted them repentance from their sins. 
We hear the word of the Lord. We hear the call to faith and repentance. Are we responding appropriately like the Ninevites did to believe our condition? Do you have a sense of, of the fact that maybe you're not right with God this morning? Maybe you've never felt that you were right with God. If you're getting a sense of that, then you need to believe what God has said concerning your sins and concerning the fact that there is a Savior. There is a way to be saved from your sins, to trust in that Savior, turn from sin and turn to Christ for salvation. I've read this the last couple of weeks, but you know the Pharisees and scribes were asking Jesus for a sign, and Jesus says, This evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Well, in Jesus' day, he had three years of preaching to these people. Day after day, he ministered. He, did, he performed miracles and signs, and here they are going, we just want another sign. Give us another sign. And Jesus says, no more signs. The only sign you're going to get is the resurrection. And of course, some of them still didn't believe. The Ninevites heard one sermon from one preacher, and they repented. And so the condemnation for the people of Jesus' day is greater, Jesus says. But those who repent, God relents of sending the disaster, of, of bringing judgment. In fact, that judgment fell upon our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're putting your trust in Christ today, then the judgment that you deserve was placed upon Christ. He bore your sin on the cross. He bore the penalty of it on the cross. And that's grace. That is God's grace in its greatest demonstration, His mercy towards sinners such as we are, that we don't deserve it, yet He provided a way of salvation for us. So if you're an unbeliever today, seek out God's grace. He's, he's extending the Word, His Word to you. He's demonstrated His love for you in Christ. And, and He's calling you to faith and repentance. And he says that if you, if you come to me, weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, one more with J.I. Packer. In the New Testament, grace means God's love in action toward people who merited the opposite of love. Grace means God moving heaven and earth to save sinners who could not lift a finger to save themselves. Grace means God sending His only Son to the cross to descend into hell so that we guilty ones might be reconciled to God and received into heaven. That's the, that's the, the overflowing grace of God. Believers and unbelievers, never doubt the love of God for His people. And don't blow off the love of God if you're not. Run to Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your grace and your mercy, your forgiveness, your loving kindness. Thank you, Lord, that, that your steadfast love, your covenant love is forever. And Lord, we pray that we would walk in the knowledge of this as we 
recognize your great love and the forgiveness and redemption that we have in Christ. May it fuel our service to you. May we, like Jonah, do the word of the Lord. May we follow you. May we do your bidding. And Lord, pray that we would have do it less reluctantly than Jonah did. But Lord, help us to do it. And Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray that they would pray that you would save them and cleanse them and forgive them. Lord, we pray that you would draw them into your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.